Now in chapter 2, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you've kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and has manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now as we look at this passage of scripture, we need to make sure that we see the historicity of this. Now by the historicity of this, I don't mean uh, when it happened, I mean that it happened. This is a historical incident, not a fable. This is not something of someone's imagination attributed to Jesus. Now you say, well, how do you know that? Well, one of the clearest ways we know it is the way this uh, story begins and ends. It happened in Cana of Galilee. It's repeated twice, right at the beginning and right at the end. It's rooting this event in the history and the culture of God's people at that time. And so we see this as a historic event that marked the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, John, the author of this epistle, sees what Jesus is doing here. We would call it a miracle. He's calling it a sign. It's a sign. God gives us signs. In this case, God gives us a sign, and he gives it to us through his son, Jesus. And this sign is to point us to Jesus, and it's to challenge us. The sign is always there to challenge us when we see this to believe in Jesus. Now, I just said it this way. It's a sign given to challenge us whenever we read this story or whenever we read one of the other accounts of the signs of Jesus it's given to us to challenge us to believe in Jesus. Now you might say, well, I already did that. That's why I'm saying it's given to you who already have believed that whenever you see these signs recorded, that you are challenged to believe in Jesus more and more. Now, how do you react to this? is going to demonstrate whether you are receiving the sign from God, whether you are being challenged, whether you're accepting the challenge, 
and that you're exercising your own personal faith in Jesus on a day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year, life-to-life basis. And in that sense, showing that you have an ongoing faith in Jesus. Now, certainly it's there to bring us to conversion. Uh, One of the Presbyterian ministers, just a little older than I am, and he died just a couple of years ago of cancer, and he had a tremendous ministry in Philadelphia, and his wife was equally effective in leading Bible studies, and she is leading a college Bible study at uh, Johns Hopkins University, and there was this little wealthy co-ed who had come from a very, very sophisticated New England town and very insulated from uh, this type of uh, uh, type of Christianity. It was in what we call a mainline church where everything was formal and everything was cold and and she just, you know, understood that the Bible is something that is nice and church is nice and uh, all ministers are nice, uh, most of them. And, and uh, you know, that's what she understood. But as she was studying through John's gospel with Mrs. Boyce, She came to somewhere around the fourth or fifth chapter of John's Gospel. The light went on. And all of a sudden, this little co-ed said to Mrs. Boyce, Oh, I see. John's telling us about Jesus so that we'll see that Jesus is God. Bingo. Well, yes, We've got to have a bingo moment in our lives when we see what the scriptures, especially John's gospel, is telling us about Jesus, that Jesus is God, and that we put our faith in him. Now, when we look down here at the 11th verse of this, you see a number of little things that I want to cover at the beginning. It says, this is the first of the signs. So there's more to follow. And the other signs are going to do what this sign did. It's going to manifest Jesus' glory. All the signs are there to manifest his glory. Again, it's a historic thing. The thing of Canaan and of Galilee is there. The disciples believed in him. The disciples believed. That's the goal. At the end of this, in chapter 20, 21, uh, John is going to say, you know, there are many other things that Jesus did that are not written in this book, but these things have been written in order that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and believing that you would have life in his name. So these, this is the first. There are going to be more. We're his disciples. We're to believe in him. We're rooted in history. These things were rooted in history. It's very concrete for us, and we need to receive it that way. Now, do you have faith in things? Do you have faith in things? Here's what I have faith in. This world is lacking. Do you believe that? Do you believe this world's lacking? I mean, I love life. People say to me often now, how you doing, John? How are you, John? I say, happy. It's true. I am. I'm happy. Now, I'm not ignorant, and I'm not terribly foolish. You all know that I'm somewhat foolish. 
but uh, there's a lot of things that I don't have that I need. By the way, I'm not asking for anything, so don't offer it. <laughs> but there are a lot of things that I don't have that I need. There are needs that I have for my family. I wish it was better. There are needs I actually have for some of you and in this church. Well, they're not there. There's a lot of needs out there. Needs for our government, needs for our country. There's needs where? Everywhere. Do you have faith in that? Or are you ignorant and foolish? That would be a bad thing. Now you see here that it's talking about a great need. But this great need is a part of the sign. It's not merely that there was a great need one day in Cana, Galilee, and Jesus was able to meet one need. That would be a dumb way of looking at this text. A healthy way of looking at this text is there was a great need in Cana of Galilee one day that matches many of the other situations that are found in our lives and the lives of people that have lived every day of this world. And there will always be a great need. The need will be great. It's a picture of that. We lack. We don't, we're not, uh, I was going to talk about this guy a couple weeks ago, and I'll just slip him in here. We have a missionaries group that we support called the Chin Chins, and they have a ministry in Africa, uh, Bible colleges. And Nell Chin Chin is a Palmer, and her brother is Palmer Robertson, who is now teaching over there, and he's an Old Testament professor. But both of them have an older brother named Jack, Jack Chin Chin. Now, of course, you know there'd have to be a car in here somewhere, and Jack drove Porsches, and that's why I like Jack. But Jack, I went over there one day to borrow a car that he had for his wife. It was a a checker limo. She had a bad back, and he thought that would help her back to drive that checker limo, brand new. And I walked in to get the keys, and he had a T-shirt on. The T-shirt was red, and in big, bold, le- bold letters, it said in yellow, Adequate Man. Now, unfortunately, many of you think of yourselves like Jack, Adequate Man, Adequate Woman. Well, if you think of yourself that way, you're going to have a hard time having faith in Jesus you're going to have faith in you. There is a great need. Now, historically, the text is telling us a great story. Israel has come up to the point of its history where it's exhausted its usefulness. There is water pots there for purification of the people's hands when they came to the wedding. So what would happen from these water pots is they came, someone would take a ladle, and they would ladle some water into the uh, guest's hands, and they would wash it. Jesus is going to do something about the lack that is now a part of Israel. The host's family, the host's family now is sitting there with a banquet. We don't know exactly 
how long the banquet is going to last. But we know what day of the week Jesus is there. It's Wednesday. You say, now how did you get that? <laughs> I think a lot of times you wonder where I get where I get. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay too. Uh, no, in, in the era of this, uh, virgin girls were always married on Wednesday. A, a widow was married on Thursday. But a virgin girl would always be married on Wednesday. So it's Wednesday. It's the first day of the feast. And on the first day of the week, the feast, the wine gives out. That's not good. These wines, these feasts typically last for a very long period of time, days. Uh, this is, uh, the next little comment will be a comment for Sunday. Back a couple, in the other chapter, it says that Jesus picked up Nathaniel. Nathaniel was sitting under a tree, and Jesus met him, and they just kind of hung out. They stayed with him. Why did they stay with him? Because it was Sunday. Jesus wore Saturday. They were keeping the Sabbath. So if you ever want to have a little text on why, if Jesus ever kept the Sabbath, you can go back here in John chapter 1, and beginning from this verse that this wedding was on Wednesday, you can see how he kept the Sabbath. That's just a point to consider. There's this need of this host family. If this wine gives out, and it did, they are going to be embarrassed. What about a wedding for the couple when the wedding itself goes bad? We would say that marriage got off on what kind of a foot? Yeah, or a bad foot, wrong foot, not good. You know what? Canaan's not a big place. My first church was in a little town in Florida, Alabama. They counted the cats when it came time for a census because you had to, in Alabama, have 2,000 residents in the city limit to keep the city's name on the map from being in the smallest type. And Florala was proud. They wanted to make sure that that type was at least one font larger. But you know what? Almost everybody in that town knew everybody else's story and none of them ever forgot, and few of them ever forgave. And if this wine ran out, this embarrassment would last the lifetime of the couple. They would be the couple that was known who were not able to fulfill their obligations at that wedding. Now, some might think they're poor. Well, they may have been, but they had six water pots there for the hand washing. They must have expected a bunch of people. So we don't know necessarily they were poor, but the wine was out. There is lacking. Now again, I would just say to you, 
There's lacking in our lives. There is a lot of lacking. I'm dealing with people who are elderly who are lacking health. They're lacking integrity in their body, in their mind, in their whole structure of their being. I'm dealing with couples whose marriages lack integrity. They lack wholeness. I'm dealing with couples whose children who have conducted themselves in ways that, well, it's not good when the community knows how the kids have acted. We're dealing with people whose businesses have been lost and they're underemployed, and we're dealing with with situations where people are afraid of the future. They're afraid of this next election. They're afraid there's lack. We've got to understand that when there is lack, there's time for faith, but faith has to have a proper object. It can't be pie in the sky. The faith has to find a resting place in a proper resting place. The second thing that I want to call your attention to is the way of asking. Jesus' mother, Jesus' mother is just, never in John is she mentioned by name, the mother twice, woman twice, the woman, the mother a couple of more times, but woman twice, but never Mary. Jesus' mother comes to Jesus, and she asks. She directs the request and the need to Jesus. She's an example to you. She's an example to me. When we know there's a need, notice she's not even asking for herself, although she may be related to the family. We just don't know that. But she's asking Jesus. She believes in Jesus. She knows what Jesus is capable of. When Jesus uses the word woman, we kind of think, wow, that's kind of harsh. Well, maybe not. There's certainly something that's changed. It's not that she has a son that she can hold sway over. Jesus is something's happened. She recognizes something has happened because when Jesus comes to this wedding, he has a group of disciples that for 30 years he's never had, but now he does. And so she knows that his ministry must be beginning. And so she comes to him with this request, and he says to her, woman. Now, she's the woman Jesus is the Messiah. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, what does it say? God says, I'm going to put enmity between the seed of Satan and the seed of who? The woman. In her seed will crush the head. Of the serpent. This is the language that's here. This is hearkening back to creation. This is the promise. This is what's been promised from the beginning. And so John structures it that we can see this. The woman represents Eve, 
And Jesus represents the fulfillment of the promise given to Adam and Eve. The way of asking. Our need is to turn in a direct prayer and speak in behalf of others and in our own behalf. They have no wine. Now, I hate to tell you this, but I pray this kind of a prayer for a lot of you a lot of the time. <laughs> because you may think that I think that you're good. And I know many of you put on a face because you want me to think that. But you fooled nobody, and you certainly haven't fooled me. <laughs> so if you think there's a fool, maybe the mirror would help instead of just your focus ahead. I'm not fooled, and any minister that is fooled is a fool. You all lack, and I pray, Lord, I can't pray for everything for everybody, but I can pray this, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon these people. They have no wine. They lack what they need for life. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. And I do that. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Save my son. Help me not to say the wrong thing. Help me to say the good thing. Help me help these people. It's the way of asking. You see it demonstrated here. You have not. Yes, not. Jesus' miracle. It's quite a miracle. Now, we want to say minimally there's 120 gallons represented here. Minimally. There could be maybe as much as maybe 180 gallons represented here. So there's water. These are stone jars, and these jars have been filled to the brim as a demonstration there's nothing else in those jars but water. Now, Jesus takes water and turns that water into wine. All through the Bible, there is the rule of God over water. He divides the sea, he controls the flood, he controls the raging on the Sea of Galilee. He stops the River Jordan. Over and over again, water is unruly. And Jesus, in doing what he's doing, is demonstrating that he has the power of God to control one of the most uncontrollable forces and powerful forces in the world. How powerful was it when it flooded Macon? Pretty powerful? Change things? Make things miserable? Jesus changes the water into wine. 120, 180, we don't know. You know, there's wine. I have in my past driven up to a 7-Eleven on a bicycle and gone inside and given the guy my $2 and come out with a bottle of Ripple wine. Now, Ripple wine is worth about $2, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> okay? 
I know about Riffle. But this isn't that kind of wine. The master of the ceremony says, you've saved the best wine to last. I have a feeling that if I had some of that wine today, I could sell it and it would make up for some lack that I have in other places in my life. I got a feeling that this is pretty good stuff. Now, what are you expecting from Jesus? Average? Is that what you're expecting? This is not what's delivered. What's delivered is above and beyond all that we could think or hope or ask. That's what's delivered. We can choose to look at the poverty of life, or we can choose to look at the abundance that is in Jesus. That's, those, these are the choices we have. One is that of a person of not much faith, and the other is a person of growing faith. This isn't saving faith. This is maturing and developing faith. Don't trust in human fixes. Everything so often that we see is, is explainable. But then there are often just things, if we'll just ask Jesus, that will come into our lives that have no other explanation other than this is of God. God did this. Trust in Jesus. It's silent. No words, no waving of the hands. Jesus fills the need. Haven't we found it true that Jesus fills our lives when we turn to him. We turn to him, and he fills us in ways that are unexpected. We have to have faith. This miracle is a sign of Jesus' glory. In here is a picture of the consummation and the great end of things. Because when we talk about the consummation and the great end of things, there's going to be a celebration at the end of the age that's called the marriage feast of the Lamb. And when this occurs, we're told in the scriptures over and over again, there will be, guess what, an abundance of wine. It's a picture of something. Now, let's talk about this abundance and just think about it in this manner just quickly. Who in the world are you? I just told you a minute ago. People call me up and they say, John, how are you doing? What do I say? Fine. No, that means you're <laughs> foolish, ignorant, neurotic, and probably something else. Happy. That's what I tell them, I'm happy. I'm living in the light of what's going to be. I'm living by faith. What is wine in the scripture told properly used for? To make the hearts of mankind glad. That's what we're told. That's the use of wine. How much did Jesus make? Do you want you just to be itty-bitty happy? Is that what he wants? Itty bitty happy you? Is that what he wants for you? 
No. He made 120 gallons of wine. It's a picture of what he wants for you. This miracle is a picture of the end when everything that's been promised to God's people is going to be completely filled and our lives will know no bounds of joy. That's what we're told. Lastly, this thing shows the validity of all the Old Testament promises and ceremonial rites have been eclipsed. There's a time when things end. They're worn out. That's what happened. When Jesus made this water into wine, he effectively was saying the era of the Old Testament is concluded and it's obsolete and it's for no more. New things have come and it's perfectly fulfilled in this anticipation of the Feast of Glory. Joy, great joy, promised joy, fulfilled joy, offered joy. That's what this passage is about for us. Now the question is, will we be like the disciples? Will we see the glory, the glory of Jesus, and will we believe? Believe that this is true? but believe that its message is true, believe that its promise is true, show that we believe it's true by living the way we should because of what Jesus has done. Let's pray. Now, Father, bless us and keep us. The miracle of the new birth goes on as the Musicians said the beat goes on, and it beats in our hearts, and it beats in our minds, and it beats in our lives, and it beats in our voice, and it beats in our everything that we do, and demonstrates the miracle being reapplied and renewed in our life day by day. You fill us with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.